0: When you're singing a song, then your neck stiffens up, you know that you haven't been singing properly. (laughs) They tell you you're supposed to have a loose jaw, you're supposed to be relaxed. I was anything but relaxed, I guess. If we have uh, somebody that uh, does massages and is a masseuse, please see me after the service. I'll employ you for zero dollars, but you'll have the privilege of helping me for many years to come. And everybody else says, I'll line up too, preacher. But anyway, Romans chapter 11, verse 7, excuse me. He says, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. In Romans eleven five, 5, he goes on here before that to say, Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. The, the passage teaches us that when God moved on to the Gentiles as a whole, as a nation, we're going to see, and as a people, that there was this veil, if you will, that blindness, the spiritual blindness that happened under the Jews. And as a result, God opens up salvation to the, gen, uh, to the Gentile. And it's a wonderful thing for you and I. And again, as Israel or the Jew rejects Christ, then he says, okay, fine, if, if that's the way you want it, then I'll turn to someone who will receive it. Um, and, and indeed, the Lord did. And the Gentile, according to the Word of God, does not need a sign. Um, we're to believe by faith alone, no sign needed. But our passage, as we go back to our passage, we note that these men were endued with great power. And you know, you and I marvel at it as we read it, and we think to ourselves more than likely, we think, man, I'll tell you what, I sure wish I lived in those days. I'd love to see a real miracle. I mean, a miracle like that. I mean, matter of fact, I'd love to be the one performing it. And I can't deny that it'd be pretty awesome. But let's not be fooled into believing that the power we possess today is any less amazing than that of yesterday. We really do have to be careful with that. It manifests itself somewhat differently, but indeed the power still is obtainable and it is evident, and the source of that power is still the same. It's the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the living God. See, the mighty miracles which they performed always pointed people to Jesus Christ. It was always pointing them to the God that had sent his Son. You know, we have the same opportunity today to do the impossible in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to consider Peter and John here as we enter into the New Testament in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. We go from Mark chapter 3, where God is primarily dealing with the Jew, and he gives them power to do miracles, healings, and cast out devils. And Then we arrive at Acts chapter 4, and we find these men, the same men, but now a different time. I mean, things are starting to transition and change. God is still, early on in the book of Acts, dealing primarily with the Jew. It would not be until after Acts chapter 7, with the stoning of Stephen, that he would begin to turn his attention to the Gentiles at least as a whole. We would find uh, in chapter 8 some tremendous persecution to the church and the church being scattered abroad. We'd find in chapter 9 the apostle Paul, of course, being saved and ultimately called and sent. We'd find in Acts chapter 9 as well, as we've mentioned in the past before, Philip is now preaching and proclaiming the gospel, the truth of the word of God to the Samaritans. And from there in chapter 10, we see the amazing salvation of Cornelius as a result of Peter, the apostle, utilizing one of the keys of the kingdom. But here so far in chapter 4, we're going to see these men as we kick off the New Testament and that transition begins. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... Acts 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, what's the first thing we need to do to understand the verse? Well, I think we need to know who they are. <clears throat> who's the they? Now, when they saw, who's they? Well, to do that, we have to go back to verses 5 and 6. And there in 5 and 6, we note it says, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. So we can see from the word of God that. They, as you will, or these that are written about, are Jewish officials of the council, the highest religious order among the Jews. They were the elite of the elite, the best of the best. They were extremely learned men. They'd attended all the rabbinical schools, and they had passed with flying colors. They were at the top of their class, They had climbed the religious ladder to the very top. Most often, we are quite intimidated by men or women like that. Those that are educated, maybe those that seem to function and operate on a different plane economically or socially. I mean... They scare us with their titles, their positions, their status, their possessions. Oh, we would say, oh, no, I don't believe. No way, not me. I could care less. Yeah, huh And that's why you prefer to go soul winning in certain neighborhoods than others. Oh, I'm not intimidated, really. I just like results. Hmm, Okay. I think the truth is, if we'd be honest with ourselves and with each other, we'd admit that there are some people in the world that somewhat intimidate us. People that are so-called successful or people that have attained to some level of of economic or social status have a tendency to kind of cause us to say, "Eh, maybe they know more than me. Maybe they, uh, yeah, well, that's not necessarily the case either, but it can be somewhat intimidating. It can be scary, can it? It's funny, uh, Peter and John. However, they respond to these people now. Let's see how they respond. Peter and John, they didn't try to impress them with their credentials. They didn't have any. They didn't say, "Well, you know what? We went to that uh, Bible college in Galilee. I got me some credentials. I've got a certificate of completion." Now, that's not what they said. They really had no uh, credentials. They they didn't try to awe them with their fluid or fantastic oratory. They couldn't. That's just, they were fishermen. They didn't attempt to wow them with their exceptional knowledge of the scriptures and run around trying to prove to them, we know more than you. They didn't do that. The Bible tells us that these religious men considered them unlearned and ignorant men. Now, I don't know exactly if they considered them that unlearned and ignorant simply because they believed differently than them, which that's possible, but I believe that as they view these men, they towered over them in their pride and arrogance and they said they're simply people that follow Jesus. They're, They're just... Nothing more than fishermen at heart. They're nobodies. They're nothing. They're ignorant and unlearned men. They're uneducated. That description's plain enough, I think. Anytime you call a person ignorant, everybody knows exactly what you mean. You don't really have to go into much detail to explain ignorance. These men had, again, no background. They had no real training, at least from the world's standpoint. And there was nothing that they possessed that would, ins- would somehow impress these pious religious leaders. Again, no credentials, no physical attributes that caused them to take note of them. But they did take knowledge of them. And why did they do that? In Acts chapter 4, verse 13 again, it says, And they took knowledge of them because they had been out soul winning. They took knowledge of them because they'd been teaching Sunday school for five years. They took knowledge of them Because they never, ever missed a church service. They took knowledge of them because they sang in the choir. They took knowledge of them because they sang specials before the whole congregation. They took knowledge of them because they worked in the nursery and changed poopy diapers. They took knowledge of them because they were ushers and greeters in the house of God. It doesn't say any of those things, does it? You know, the only reason they took knowledge of them was because these religious officials were convinced of one thing. They had been with Jesus. We spend so much time worried about our credentials. We spend so much time worried about being educated. We spend so much time worried about how people view us or what they think about us, when in reality, what the Bible teaches we ought to be most concerned about is being with Jesus. If Christianity would move away from wanting to be uh, in the spotlight in this kind of selfie age in which we live, and we'd get more in our faces in the Bible instead of in Facebook or on some kind of, you know, whatever they call those selfies, I think we'd find that we'd have more power in the world in which we live, we'd have a greater impact in the lives of others. See, recorded in Scripture is the secret to true success in the believer's life. Spending time with Jesus. It is that simple. Preacher, you know, I wish you'd just give me something practical I could use. I'm sick and tired of hearing I should just get in my Bible. Pray and read your Bible. Why don't you tell me something I can do that helps me? our country, we have churches that are being built and they're being funded by people who all they want is their felt needs met. Tell me how to have a good marriage. Tell me how to face depression. Tell me how to deal with my problems. And what we basically ask, we don't want a preacher of the gospel, we want a psychologist on staff. I want somebody that can help us navigate through this difficult time in which we live. What we need is Jesus. I'm telling you, we are missing the boat here. We have so become, you know, we are so contemptible toward Christ. We, 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 We don't... Oh, I believe in God. Okay, that's good, but let me tell you something. He can't do you any good from a distance. Nor will he. Because, see, when we draw nigh to him, he draws nigh to us. You just don't know my problems. You don't know my Jesus, then. And listen, I'm not trying to be mean tonight. I'm just saying we need to think about this for a minute. As believers, we are going through life trying to solve problems the way the world does. And we keep wondering why we're so miserable, why we have the same amount of suicide in our churches as the world has in their their school system, so to speak. Why in the world would our teenage kids have to have psychologists at the age of 10 in Christian homes if we were living different than the world? But we're not, obviously. Why do we have as much depression in the midst of the house of God and the people of God as the world has? What's wrong with us? And someone "Then eh, you, you get on that stuff, huh? Yeah, I'm getting on all, all the stuff. Because the truth is, is that we are addressing our problems the way the world addresses problems. We're facing our marriages, we're facing our, our uh, child uh, care, we're facing... Um, uh, raising our children and dealing with problems the exact same way they do. We read the same books. We listen to the same psychologists. We try to come to the same conclusions somehow, some way. Well, I read a Christian psychologist, and he said, I want to tell you something. Why don't we just check the Bible before we run to a psychologist? Christian or not? And by the way, I'm sorry, but God did give you a pastor for a reason. I know it's not popular today because nobody's better than anybody else, and I don't think I you. I don't know who you think you are, preacher. But you're no better than me. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I'm not saying I need to tell you, but it would be nice if somebody could point you sometimes to what Jesus wants to tell you. Because if you were listening so clearly, you wouldn't be in the mess you're in. See, in the scriptures, it's the secret of real success, genuine success in the believer's life is found in simply spending time with Jesus. Now, there's much to say about having the ability to cast out devils and do miracles. Man, that's, that's wild stuff. That's awesome. But can I tell you that nothing rivals being with Jesus? I can't imagine. Listen, now, if you could pull the disciples and you could say, now, I'll tell you what, Peter, John, James, all you let's get over here. Come on over. Let's gather together. I got a question for you. Now, Jesus, of course, has died. He's buried and he's rose again. I get that. He's up in the heavenly, seated at the right hand of the Father. But I'm just kind of curious, fellas. If you could have the power to cast out devils And you could have the power to heal people, or you could just be with Jesus right now. He could literally come down and you could spend time with him like you used to for three years before they killed him. What would you rather have, Jesus or the power to heal? I wonder what they'd have said after spending three years living with the creator of the universe. What do you think? I think I know. I know what I'd rather have right now. You can go ahead and keep the healing power. Give me Jesus. Because if he's around, I ain't got to worry about any of it anyway. And I get the benefit of his presence and his fellowship. What do you want? What do you want out of your Christian life? You want power? You want a prize? You want a pat on the back? What do you want? What do you want? So you've got to answer that question because I believe today that many times we're not answering the question right. And we wonder why we're all going so wrong and everything's going wrong. Jesus ought to be the only thing that matters to you and me. More than anyone or anything else, it ought to be him. You say, yeah, well, there you're wrong, because I know you're supposed to obey the Lord. Well, if you put him first, you'll obey him. I think, you know, you get the cart before the horse, yeah, but not when you pick Jesus. You got the horse. It's his mouth. Something like that. Somebody says, see, you're blaspheming God now. Yeah, I think God's pretty pleased with what he's here tonight. Because I'm going to tell you something, there's one thing missing in most Christians' life, it's Him. I'm not saying we're not saved, I'm just saying we have been so distracted. There is no way that we can come away with any more than when we have come away from His presence. That's where you get the most. These religious officials had observed Peter and John, and they were convinced that they had been with Jesus. <clears throat> that song years ago that we used to sing, I'd rather have Jesus than. You can start naming all the things, probably. I can't remember all of them. It started with silver and gold, I know that's one of them, then riches and fame. It goes through all these different things. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. Rather have Jesus than houses or lands, blah, 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 you know. I wonder how true that really is and how true it rings in our hearts today. I wonder. And I'm not one of those guys that says, you know, everybody ought to be broke, no, no, you know, who don't have any, you know, two nickels to rub together. That's not what I'm talking about. But I just, uh, our priorities. They were spending time with Jesus. That's the only reason why the world recognized them and saw them, took knowledge of them. They recognized they had spent time with Jesus. They got thinking, you know what? I remember those guys. Those are those same guys that hung out with Jesus all that time. That's them right there. I wonder how the world sees us. What made these officials take note of Peter and John and conclude that they had been with Jesus? I also want to talk about just a couple of things over the next few weeks. Of some visible signs that made these officials take note of Peter and John, and to provide us with a way to measure our faith of Christianity. See, I believe that if we will recognize a couple of the things that caused them to be noticed by the world, it'll help us to be able to even evaluate our faith or our Christianity where we really stand. And so, I'm going to get started. And we'll get as far as we can with the first one. But here's the first one. They shared the truth with great boldness. They shared the truth with great boldness. Now, again, in our passage, verse 13, it's pretty clear of, of, and and again, I'm talking, I'm going back to, to Acts here, chapter 4, verse 13. It says, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I believe the fact that they were bold made an impact in their life. I believe it impacted them. And so let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer. Father, we ask, Lord, over these next 10 minutes or so, you'd bless us now. We need you. We pray for your leadership. Help us, Lord, to really identify what's important and what should be a priority in our lives. Lord, we all, every one of us in this room, face the same obstacles, really. Uh, they may come at us in different ways, but when it's all said and done, the devil's just after us. He wants to wreck and ruin our lives. He wants to distract us from what's a priority and what's important, and he may use our health. He may use our finances. He may use relationships and broken Issue, you know problems and tragedy to do that. But Lord, either way, he's trying to get us to focus on something other than you. Lord, help us to be with you, to spend time with you, to truly be in a position where we can make an impact and leave a legacy in the world in which we live. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. They shared the truth or the gospel, if you will, with great boldness. Now, turn if you would to Acts chapter 4 again, verse 7. We're going to start in verse 7. We want to read through verse 12. You're probably already over there, but If not, we'll get there, because we were in Romans too there. So Acts chapter 4, verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what mean he is made whole, Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. We notice a couple things in the passage. When we look at verse 7, right off the bat, we see they were surrounded. The Bible says they had them in the midst. They had set them in the midst. Here they were, Peter and John, these disciples, and they're they're in the midst of these men, these religious elite, these men of great learning and stature and standing in the culture and the society in which they live. Certainly an intimidating sight, certainly a position of intimidation. Here they are surrounding them. Not only that, we see in verse 7 that they scrutinized them. They said, by what power or by what name have you done this? It wasn't truly a question to be asked in the sense of, you know, we really want to know. No, they, they were scrutinizing, they were trying to criticize, they were trying to be nasty and mean, really. They heard the message, they knew what was, they were, who they were speaking about, they understood, really, when it was all said and done, and I'm sure they'd asked a number of others the same question at some point, even before Jesus died. What in the world is going on here? Who in the world is your leader? Why would you speak like this? They said, well, by what power, by what name have you done this? And the Bible says not only were they surrounded and scrutinized, they were spirit-filled. Because Peter then, filled with the Holy Ghost, will respond to these people. It is very indicative, important, essential, if you will, that we are filled with the Spirit of God. When we begin to respond to people in the world in which we live, we must ensure that we are responding in the Spirit of God that the answers that we're giving are not rooted in our flesh or in our own mind, but they are rooted in the word of God and in truth. Everybody's right in their own eyes. Everybody thinks they have a right to feel and think the way they do. Everybody wants to believe. It's gotta be somebody else that's at fault. Everyone is built with flesh. Internally, it's not till we get saved that something is transformed and changed, that Christ himself moves in and lives in us and we can then see truth for what it really is. But may I say, even as a believer, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves walking in darkness, so to speak, and giving answers outside the word of God. We live in a very alarming day and age. I do not know if there's probably any more pertinent or practical message that needs to be shared with believers today than this truth of great boldness that we must have. The world is telling us that everything we believe and everything we are is wrong. We are the enemy to a changing culture and society. You are the problem. You are the reason why all this change must take place. And the fact is, is that it's the same old song and dance that they faced. And people say, well, it ain't that bad yet. And you know what? Praise God, it isn't. But don't hold your breath. They were surrounded, they were scrutinized, they were spirit-filled, but they were straightforward too, though. In verse 9 through 11, <clears throat> we read there, the Bible says, if we this day be examined of a good deed done to the impotent man, by what means is he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, and by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole can you imagine standing in the sitting in the midst of these men these religious leaders this council of educated Jews that hold your life in the balance and saying to them i'll tell you who and by what authority we speak it's jesus christ of nazareth whom ye crucified. That's by whose authority we speak. By the very God of the universe that you killed on Calvary. It's by his authority we speak. Man, I'll tell you what, they took their lives in their own hands when they said those kind of things. And they didn't even have to say it the way I did. But it's interesting how the world hears what we say. Because, see, although they may not have said it quite like I did, I'm sure that's how it was taken. It's funny, isn't it, when we confront sin in a person's life, how they view us as the enemy. Isn't that interesting? That's why in the Word of God, the Apostle Paul, as we preached on some months ago, said, because I tell you the truth, am I become your enemy? Everybody told that to the Galatians. After everything that the, they would have given their own eyes for his eyes, he says at one point, you love me like, like nobody's business, but because I tell you the truth, I've become your enemy. John the Baptist did this to Herod and he lost his head. It says, for John has said John said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Really? Who do you think you are, John? We'll see about that. I wonder today, where's the boldness in Christianity gone? Where's the boldness? And can I honestly tell you, I. I look at my own life and I <clears throat> I'm convicted preaching a message like this. Totally convicted. I mean, where has the boldness gone in Christianity today? I mean Jesus Christ gave his life and shed his blood to pay for our sin. And when he saved us, not only did he save us, but he sealed us eternally with no possibility of escape. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. John 14, 16 through 18, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you, I will not leave you comfortless. I'll come to you. And We have the fulfillment in Ephesians in the seal, the Holy Spirit sealing us. Not only that, but he's building us a mansion in heaven right now as we speak. It's still in construction. You say, you don't know that. I sure like believing it. I know he went to prepare a mansion for me. So I'm not sure when he finished it. And you say, well, he could speak it, and that'd be it. Can you imagine if he's been at it any longer than just a moment then? How beautiful it is. I don't know. You can go ahead and believe you'll be on a little cabin on the backside of heaven somewhere. I want my mansion. I mean, I'm shooting for it all, man. Give me the biggest one you got, Lord. And someone says, well, my mansion doesn't really mean that. It means just a nice room, a big room, and blah, blah, blah. Well, then I want the biggest room you got. I want a jacuzzi in there, hot tub, whatever you want to call it, and I want it hot, too. I got in one of them hot tubs or jacuzzis the other day, and man, I'm going to tell you something. It was like lukewarm. What's that about? And the little jets were pushing out, and it felt like there was a little propeller in there or something. It's like, you kidding me, man? Give me some jet power, man. I mean, blow me off the seat, man. I want to brace my feet on the other end and hold myself back. He's building a mansion. The Bible says in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. You know, isn't it funny how the Greek and all this learning, this, you know, extensive learning, Takes away from the Word of God, from the hope of the people of God. You know, the only person that says that mansion's not really a mansion is somebody that thinks they know more about the Bible than the folks that translated it. And yet most of them spoke at least six languages fluently. I can't even speak one fluently. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Someday soon, very soon, he's going to return to rapture us right out of here. And then we're going to be with him forever. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I welcome it. Every time I bend over or turn sideways or flip a switch and feel that pain jolt through my back like I just felt something there, I think, even so, Lord, come quickly. (laughs) Some of you young people, you don't feel that way, and I get it. It's just because you're not spiritual, but we'll move on from there. (laughs) Some of them are like, daddy, dog, I bet you didn't want him to come when you were young either. You're right, I was looking forward to a lot of things then. But you'll see. No. (laughs) Oh, no. Life is wonderful. It really is. It's wonderful. I'm not going to tell you it isn't. It can be wonderful. Serve the Lord. You'll be glad. You'll be glad. He'll make your life wonderful. I'm not saying it'll always be easy, but it'll be wonderful. Now, after everything he's done for us, I believe it's important that we're bold for him. By whose authority do you do these things? Well, you know what? If believers don't stand up with holy boldness and unapologetically spread the truth, listen to me, spread the truth. Hold on. Spread the truth, not just the gospel. This, this is a problem today. We'll go out soul winning, but we won't take a stand on a moral issue in our culture for fear of, of ostracizing ourselves from loved ones, family, friends. We need to stand for truth, not just the gospel truth, but the truth. And if believers don't stand up with a holy boldness and unapologetically spread the truth to this city in which we live, we may lose the freedom to believe as we choose to believe and to act as compelled by God in our conscience. The only way that we can restore the ground that has been lost and retain the Christian rights we now possess is to make more disciples. It's the only way it's going to work. See, the more voices there are sharing the truth, the more likely the truth is to be heard. Let me tell you, if we live in a world that needs something, it's truth today. It's kind of tough to get a good fact check when the facts are already corrupted. We need truth in our world. I don't even know who it was, but I was reading through an article. I just—I read through the headlines sometimes. I read today that some actress died at 65 years of age, but she really wasn't dead when they said she died. She actually died later. But they told everybody she was already dead. I'm talking about the media. It was all posted all over the It was around the world that she died. But she wasn't dead. Can you imagine what they could say about you? and we'd count it as truth. But just as corrupt as that information was, that's the world we deal with. If you want truth, you have to go to the source of truth. When he says, thy word is truth, you don't go wrong with this truth. Because, see, this truth doesn't change. This truth doesn't change. We're almost done. We really are with the conclusion here. But when the council began to close in on Peter, he stood up. That's a great lesson to learn. we got to stand today. See, believers who remain seated will only add to the silence that already exists in the world. We have got to stand. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And where does does the believer's boldness come from? I believe it's mentioned in that last phrase, they had been with Jesus. That's where the boldness comes from. You say, I want boldness to witness. I want boldness to, 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 to not be afraid to share the gospel. I want courage to stand for Bible truth. A, those are wonderful desires. So how do you get that? Let me give you, here they are, real quick. Humble your heart. You, you will never get in the presence of Christ the way you need to till you humble. You know, you know what one of the greatest evidences of a proud and arrogant heart is? That You don't need to get his presence. <laughs> you, you just go ahead and think about that one for a minute. Because you think about what most Christians don't, or should I say most Christians struggle with today. Think about it. What's the biggest complaint you see on Facebook about Christians? I'm struggling in my Bible reading. I'm having a hard time. My prayer life, I'm having a hard time. My Christian, my walk's not what it ought to be. Blah, 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 blah. Can I tell you what that's from? That's an arrogant, prideful heart. That's what it is. It's pride. Because you don't need him. Because if you needed him, you'd be there. Listen, let's quit playing games with God. Let's call it what it is, at least. Let's not get mad at a messenger. Let's not be angry with a preacher. Let's just be upfront with ourselves. The reason we don't get in his presence is because we don't need him bad enough. I promise you, if you get a phone call that says your mother or father's dying, you'll be in his presence. You'll get right on your knees. You may even open the Bible and start looking for a verse of comfort. But you don't need him until you get the tragic news. You don't need him until you hear the doctor say you have terminal cancer. I don't need him either. Let's face it. If we'd be honest, I promise you this. If I got that news, I'd be praying more than I did today. But how arrogant is that? How prideful is that? That I only go to God when I need him. And we wonder why we have no boldness. We wonder why it's so hard to pass a track or witness to somebody about Jesus or tell somebody that that is not right. That lifestyle's wrong. That attitude is incorrect. You can't live like that. You can't act like that. In a, in a loving way, I'm not talking about a negative way. I'm saying caring enough for people, but sharing the truth. Why are we so, why, are we so lack, why do we lack boldness so much? We haven't been with Jesus. Humble your heart. Number two, bow your knee. It is that simple. You don't have to do a lot to get in his presence. The Holy Spirit of God wants to usher you into the presence of the God of the universe. Bow your knee. Three, get to know the master through surveying his word. Again, we've we've talked about it. We've quoted the verse over and over again in John 5, 39. The Bible tells us that they are they which, which speak of me. They talk of me. They tell of me, he says. Open the Bible. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. But they are they which testify of me. Humble your heart, bow the knee, and get to know the master through surveying his word. So why aren't we as bold as we ought to be and why aren't others recognizing it in our lives? Because we haven't been with Jesus then. You can argue with me. You know how it is. Everybody's relationship with the Lord is good. That's all right. How how you doing with you and God? Oh, we're doing all right. Really? What's that mean? What does you know? How's your prayer life? Yeah, it's okay. What does okay mean? I'm reading my Bible, preacher. You you reading your Bible? Yeah. Really? How's that going? Yeah, it's okay. I'm doing all right. What does that mean? You know what that means to me when I hear stuff like that. How's your marriage going? Eh, it's all right. What do you think that meant? It's different though with the Bible. You know, we think somehow we get a pass on that. Go ahead and tell you. How's, how do you think our marriage is going, honey? Eh, it's all right, huh? What? Just all right. But somebody, a friend, a brother, a sister, maybe a pastor or a class leader says, How's your prayer life? Mm. It's all right. And they go, What's wrong? Ah, something's got to be wrong. Why's it got to be wrong? I mean, what? come on. I mean, we wonder why we have no power, why we have no boldness. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Let's spend some time with Jesus. The world needs a bold Christian today because I promise you the world is bold with what they believe. We need to stand for him today like never before. Yeah, there'll be a price for that. But think about the glory one day. Think about how wonderful it'll feel when you know in his presence that he was proud of you. I'm so proud of you, Mark. So proud of you for taking a stand. And I'll go, no problem, even though it hurt. Even though it was tough, maybe. Even though it meant some pretty negative consequences. I'll be there in heaven one day going, yes, sir, no problem. It was my pleasure, really. Just knowing that he was happy, pleased with me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, we come to you. We just ask, Lord, for your leadership. We just pray that you'd work in our hearts and lives.